Good morning all. Lovely to see you here on this wonderful, warm, okay, cold but sunny day. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the rich blessings you give us in Christ and we thank you for the wonderful gift of marriage. Help us to understand your purposes for marriage. Help us to understand why Christians are so out of step with our society on this issue. Help us to understand why the good gift of marriage is worth Christians standing up for and upholding in a society that will continually look down upon us for listening and obeying and wanting to show your good gift of marriage in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been an interesting week to prepare a sermon on marriage because if you've been watching the national media, you would have seen that marriage has all been all through the media this week over this topic in the place of the manly sea eagles. And you're going, what has rugby league got to do with marriage? And a lot of people have been asking that question as Manly tried to force their players to wear pride jerseys. And when they tried to do that, seven players on their team, so that's more than half of the rugby league team, said, we do not want to be part of your inclusiveness. And so they were excluded. Now, despite the somewhat funny nature of Manly's embarrassment in the whole situation or the casual racism so many in our so-called progressive media showed towards these backward Pacific Islanders who disagreed with them on marriage, the episode did raise this important question. Why are people who call themselves Christian so out of step with our society about marriage? If you listen to the critiques of the media, they've been asking, if marriage is about love and caring for one another, then why would these backward islanders just bend the knee to our superior Western thinking? Yet so, so many Western, Western thinkers have failed to grasp is what you think marriage is will be determined upon your purposes you think it serves. So our culture, which thinks marriage is about sexual fulfilment, it defines marriage in this way. They define marriage as a mutually exclusive sexual relationship between two consenting adults that have come together for as long as they agree to stay. That is, and I'll say it again, our culture basically views marriage as two consenting adults coming together for as long as they both agree to stay. Now, that is our culture's basic definition of marriage. Now, Christians have a different view of marriage. We define it differently. And today we're going to look at what Christian definition of marriage is and how it fulfills God's purposes and his good purposes for all creation. Now, as we listen to the talk today, we need to be aware that I have not, nor can I, answer all the questions about marriage. That's Joe's job. 
I'm aware that as I speak, that there is going to be a lot of hurt around the topic of marriage. It is impossible for there not to be. Marriage is the most intimate of human relationships between people. When things go wrong in marriage, there is always a lot of pain. What I'm deliberately doing is setting up an ideal marriage, the standard for marriage. And we need the standard so as to see where the problems are when individual marriages go wrong, so that we can diagnose the problems so as to fix them. So as I set up this standard, do not feel that I am addressing you specifically, that I have you in mind. If you think you have failed to live up to this standard, if you think you have failed to live up to God's standard, join the club because I know that it is me. But that is why God has given us forgiveness through Jesus because we all fail to live up to his standards. But we need to know what is his good standard so that we can diagnose the problems and fix God's good order for or live out God's good order in our lives. So, what is marriage and what are the purposes of marriage? I'm going to start straight off with the definition and this is God's view of marriage and it should be accepted by our whole society. Marriage expresses and reflects God's faithfulness and love to his church through an exclusive, lifelong, loving sexual union between a man and a woman for the raising of children. I'll say that definition again. Marriage expresses and reflects God's faithfulness and love to his church through an exclusive, lifelong, loving sexual union between a man and a woman for the raising of children. That is what God sees as marriage. Now, there are similarities with our culture uh, in terms of its view on marriage, but there are also significant differences. It is those departures which really cause the problems with our society. But God has created marriage with very specific purposes in mind that our society just wishes to ignore. But... And there are three basic purposes that God has set up for marriage. And they are mutual support and care, which our society basically shares, the raising of children, and as an analogy of God's relationship with his people. And I'm going to go through and explain those three purposes. And the first purpose of marriage is the mutual care and support of one another. The marriage uh, Anglican Marriage Service puts it like this. It is a lifelong union in which a man and a woman are called to give themselves in body, mind and spirit and so to respond that their union will grow a deepening knowledge and love of each other in the joys and sorrows of life, in prosperity and adversity. They share their companionship, faithfulness and strength. Now, as you listen to what the Anglican Church service says, the key words are these, in terms of mutual love, will grow a deepening knowledge and love of each other. Marriage is a relationship which encourages and supports each person within the couple. 
in marriage the person whom we should know best, who should know us best, is our spouse. My best friend in life is Trudy. When I feel hurt or I'm confused, when I need to process something, the first person I want to speak to is my beautiful wife. And it's not that Trudy always agrees with what I say, she should, (laughs) but my best and most honest critic in life has always been my wife. Sometimes Trudy has told me the thing I didn't want to hear, but the thing that she knew I needed to hear. That is because she knows my flaws, my strengths, my weaknesses, my sadness and my fears. She knows what intimidates me, she knows what I find joy in. She knows, for example, that I'm not a particularly sentimental person, so that when I give her flowers, that I have really been thinking about her that day. And no matter what, my wife stands beside me. She is there with me through thick and thin. As I am with her, that's what it means to grow in love and knowledge of someone in marriage, to take the time to understand them, to know them, to support them, to be with them, to stand with someone in the good times and in the bad. Marriage is a platform through which two stand together in life through what is the toughest job in the world. And we'll get to that in a second. Marriage forms a union where two different but equal components of humanity come together and in their differences they make up something greater. They make up something stronger. As God has put it, the two become one flesh. Men and women are supposed to be there for each other. And part of that being one flesh is sex. Sex is often, ooh, who's going to talk about sex in church? But sex is a good thing within marriage. The joy of faithful and exclusive sex has been given to us by God for joy. And the joy of sex is meant to flow out into every aspect of our marriages. Sex physically expresses the joy and intimacy of marriage. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, a husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to a husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. This is two people coming together and physically enjoying each other. Marriage couples are meant to have mutually fulfilling sex. Now, we'll look at sex in more detail in a couple of weeks, but sex is God's good gift and has been given for expressing mutual love and affection and joy in the marriage relationship. Sex is supposed to be an act of mutual care for one another. It is supposed to be sacrificial in the sense that it's giving physical comfort joy and pleasure to each other. Sex should bond couples together 
so they can face the world together. And the bonding strength for them is to face what is the toughest task in any marriage for have enough sex and assuming everything works medically, then comes the second reason for marriage, children. This is the reason for this platform of marriage relationship. It is to be sacrificially raised the next generation. Marriage is for bringing and raising children in the world. I'm going to read from the book of Malachi and I want you to pay attention to how God moves from the marriage relationship to this purpose for marriage. And this is Malachi chapter 2. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask, why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourself carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. It is no accident that in sex, which symbolises the greatest joy and intimacy in marriage, results in the creation of children. Sex within marriage is meant to bring children into the world. And though children are a great blessing from the Lord, they are, no doubt, they are one at the same time, the hardest labour within marriage. It is the reason God has set up sex in this way, specifically that humanity cannot have children apart from coming together in sex. Oh, sure, you can at present conceive children in a test tube. Could show you that isn't as fun. But at present, we cannot bring children into the world without a mother. Men and women coming together in marriage is meant to remind us that we cannot get into the future without each other. Without mothers, we have no future. Women have been given the great blessing of bringing life into the world. But just as we need mothers, so also we need fathers. Just last week, if you listened to Joe, you would have heard the figures of the percentage of prisoners that do not have fathers in the home. One-child families, which are predominantly single mothers, are severely disadvantaged in homes without biological fathers. Reading the statistics on this from a single-parent home, it just brings the truth to light. Children are more likely to develop psychological problems. They're more likely not to finish school. They have more behavioural problems. They are more likely and are generally more impoverished. They are more likely to be abused... Well, they are more likely to abuse alcohol and sexually act out and therefore to have other children which repeat the cycle. Children remind and teach men and women that we need each other because raising children is hard work. I was talking to some of the mothers at the Tuesday morning Bible study. And as I was talking, I made the, I made the offhand quip that, it, you know, 
getting out of the house with young children was like launching the space shuttle. And then one of them said to me, no, with the space shuttle, at least everybody's on board with the task. <laughs> Raising children is a task that men and women, in the ideal situation, are meant to do together. To say anything other is simply a lie. God has made it this way so that we can learn that we cannot do without each other. So the final purpose for marriage has been that God has set it up to point to his own relationship and his own character with, towards humanity. Marriage is meant to display and reflect the very character of God as he relates to humanity. The two main characteristics that God uh, wants marriage to reflect is his faithfulness and love towards us. God wants people to be faithfully committed to both him and to each other. The faithfulness of the individuals within marriage is meant to reflect God's faithfulness towards people. That is why the Bible teaches the exclusiveness of marriage. The exclusive commitment of the individuals in marriage should reflect Jesus' commitment towards us, his people. Christians should be utterly committed to the biblical understanding of marriage. Because if Jesus was to give us the heave-ho, as it were, we'd be toast. No salvation. God is faithful and he wants us to be faithful. And we saw that in Malachi. We are to be faithful in marriage all our lives. And it was specifically to men, to the wife of your youth. The other aspect God wishes to show in marriage is love. And we're not talking about hallmark sentimental love or feelings of love. Love is an unwavering commitment to place the other person's needs above your own desires. Love in the biblical sense is not an emotion. It is an action. Love is something we do. That is not to say that love is not accompanied by emotions. It can, and in good and right circumstances, it should. That is why people will say sometimes that they love chocolate or they love Coke or they, they love whatever. It's because when we talk about love that way, we are saying these things bring us pleasure and joy. Okay, if you want to use language that way, that's perfectly fine. But we need to realise that love in a biblical sense means self-sacrificial service. As Christians, we need to use and understand that God, love for God is putting the needs of the other before our own. Marriage should reflect these two characteristics at all times, for the, they are the very core of who God is. That is why God gets so angry with societies that treat mad marriage badly because marriage is meant to reflect the very nature and character of who God is. Faithfulness and love, they are the twin poles of marriage and that is what our marriages as Christians 
need to be about. And we need to realise that as we look and think about marriage, as we look and think about the goals and God's purposes for marriage, they all work simultaneously. It's not that you can pick and choose like a smorgasbord which ones I want and which ones I don't. They all work together. And if we don't realise and think, okay, this is God's goal, this is God's purpose for marriage, if we don't set that target, then we're never going to achieve it. So what I've just set down in terms of these goals and purposes is a standard against which we will measure our own issues and diagnose our own problems. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, there will be plenty of problems in life for those who are married. But the married life is a good thing. It is a pattern and it's an institution set up by God to achieve his purposes. Okay, so we know God's purposes for marriage. What should marriage look like? How has he set it up? And we need to know that marriage is patterned. It is an institution built upon promises. Men and women make promises at the start of marriage which creates the marriage and reflects the structure of marriage of every single marriage. And God has structured us as male and female to achieve his purposes for marriage in creation. So marriage has a structure, a pattern, as Joe has been saying last week, a framework which allows each marriage to achieve God's purposes. And the best analogy I could think of to explain this idea is a house. Look at any house and the first thing you'll notice is that they are all different. But behind their individual differences, they all share the same pattern and structure. They all have floors, they all have walls, they all have roofs. But it is the structure of the house that facilitates its purpose, which is simply to control a small piece of environment and keep people safe from the various effects of weather. That's the purpose of a house. But though every house has the same basic structure, they are yet all different, with each house reflecting the different personalities and needs of the individual marriages living within them. No two marriages will look alike. They all share a similar structure to achieve God's purpose, but that structure serves those three purposes that we looked at. And while sharing the common structure, they will be all different. And the passage that shows this structure is Ephesians 5. And I'm just going to read parts of Ephesians 5 and I'm going to deal with wives first because I'm following the logical order of the Ephesian passage because that's where Paul starts and he starts with these words. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And so we come to the dreaded command, wives submit to your husbands. And it is controversial in our culture because, and there are two general reasons why people find submission really hard. First, we like to control, we like to feel we're in control. And secondly, we like to feel and we believe our value comes from the structures we're in. And if we're below in the structure, it means we're less valuable. 
And we as Christians have got to go, no, that's not true. That is absolutely ridiculous. The word submit comes from the Greek word hupotasso. And the reason I bring it up, because it tells you what it means. Hupo means under, tasso, order. It means follow the structure, follow the order. That's all submit means. And so what wives are telling, uh, what Paul is commanding wives to do is to follow the structure, follow the order. Yes, husbands are in control. Husbands are in the top of the order. And so I asked Trudy what she thought it was like to submit to me as her husband. And these are the three things she said. She said, the first thing you've got to listen and realise, it doesn't mean blindly agreeing with everything I say. And I thought, wow, we've got two rules in marriage that we had from the start. And these are the two rules we set up. We said, the first rule is, I am always right. (laughs) And then I said, the second rule, what's the second rule, Trudy said? Oh, the second rule is easy. If I'm wrong, see rule number one. But what she was saying was, it just doesn't mean blindly of following or obeying or just listening to everything I say or doing exactly what I say, but it is, it is listening carefully, loving and thinking through what I'm saying for, and this was her second point, it means trusting me to make the big decisions. When we have a big decision in life, Trudy and I will sit down and we'll discuss it and we'll talk about it for days and then she'll say, eventually a decision needs to be made and Adam, you're going to make it and I'm going to follow you in that. And that has been basically the pattern. It doesn't mean every little decision, Trudy doesn't ring me up and say, oh, I want to buy a chocolate bar, Can you t- am I allowed to have a chocolate If she ever did that, I'd just probably hang up the phone. Um, But it means in the big decisions, she will follow my lead. And then this was the third thing she said, and this is something that I'm not really... uh, uh, I don't really see it happening in life, but she says it means never putting me down in public, never tearing me down, never making me look bad. She never says a bad word about me in public. She always puts me first. Those are the three things she said of what it means for her to submit to my leadership. And then she said, when she was looking at this passage, she said, well, that's my job, but as I look at the passage, I look at what husbands are called to do, and she goes, I'm glad I'm not the husband because it sucks to be you. And I'm like, why would you say that? And she said, read it. So I will. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Men are meant to lead, but leadership is not telling people what to do. Leadership takes responsibility for caring for those under the structure, in this case, the family structure. True godly leadership serves those who follow. Hence the section on marriage and men's responsibility, the very example of pattern of leadership is Christ's own crucifixion. Jesus lays his life down for his bride. Men do likewise. That is the pattern for leadership in marriage. 
and for life. It is no accident that the first command to husbands as leader in marriage is to love. Husbands lead in love and they do so through the loving example of Christ's death for his church, Christ's self-sacrificial death for his church. As Christ loved the church, so men are to lay their lives down for their wives. That is where our definition of love becomes so important because biblical love is hard work. Biblical love is self-sacrificial. Biblical love raises the needs of others above our own. And in marriage, that means that husbands need to put the needs of their wives above their own. That is what the passage means when it says that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. That takes hard work. That takes resolve. That is what manly, godly leadership is really about. Sacrifice. Taking responsibility for the needs of the family. Seeing that they are met and especially for the wife. That means financially. The wedding ring, which in our modern marriage services means commitment, but it used to mean that the husband would have everything and take everything he had and buy this little piece of gold, which symbolised his willingness to sacrifice for his life. That means for men, what toys do we need to give up because they are a distraction? Or what hobbies take so much of our resources that our wives are missing out? What can we give up? What can we sacrifice to help with our wives in in the budget? Emotionally, take the time to speak to your wives. Put down whatever you're doing and listen. Move away from the computer, the TV, the drill, whatever. What are her interests? What are her concerns? I'm not saying you have to like them or even agree with them, but you should at least know them. Take the time to listen to your wives and spiritually. What is going on spiritually with our wives? Do we know what she's thinking about and listening to? Is your wife interested in a ministry? How can you help her to do it? I know that many times I've stayed behind and looked after the children or done things at the home so Trudy could get out and do the kids' ministry. Men, and I am talking to men here, you are going to need to make sacrifices. And if you think you're going to make big sacrifices in life, well, you better start making the little sacrifices at the home for your wife because the big sacrifices won't come unless you're making those little ones. Men, what do we need to do? What do we need to sacrifice in our lives for our wives' sake? We all know what that is. Will we do it? So having that structure in mind knowing God's purposes in mind. We need to come to the final two parts. What is the time of marriage? And there's only two final points that I need to be made in terms, and these are quick. 
The first has to do with a foolish notion of our society, and that is what happens between, in the bedroom between two consenting adults has nothing to do with me. This is absolute nonsense. What is conceived in the bedroom always ends out on the streets. It is just a matter of time. And if we think about it, it is obvious that this is true. For the way we treat the most intimate person in our lives, it will eventually flow out into the way we treat everybody else. We need to uphold this good gift of marriage because that is a true notion. And the final point, and I'll conclude with this, marriage, according to Jesus, is only for this world and not for the world to come. We need to remember in Jesus' argument about the resurrection with the Sadducees, though they had come and said to Jesus, and they thought they could disprove the resurrection through the use of marriage, Jesus makes it very clear that marriage is for this age and for this age only. Though marriage is a good gift from God and is the most intimate of human relationships, it is not the most intimate relationship we have. Of all the relationships we can possibly have, the most intimate relationship is the marriage we all share with Christ, our God and our King. Though marriage is a very good gift for God, we must not idolise marriage. And so I say to the unmarried, if we are unmarried or we feel discontentment around marriage, we need to remember that in Christ we have been given something far greater. And I'm going to finish with the parable of a kingdom. I will not finish with a parable about marriage. The kingdom is like a great pearl buried in a field. And when a man went it and found it, he sold everything he had and went and brought that field because the kingdom is so valuable. No matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, no matter where we stand, the greatest relationship, the most important relationship we can ever have is with Christ our God. There is nothing more valuable, more precious than the kingdom of God. Marriage serves to reflect that, but that is not the kingdom of God. It is a good gift from God, but the greatest thing and the greatest relationship we can ever share is with Christ our King. And if we feel discontentment around our marriage, we need to remember God is good and he has sent his bride for us all. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good gift of marriage. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent the true bride into this world to sacrifice for us, that we might be a part of your kingdom forever and ever. As we think about marriage, as we think about the good gift of marriage and the standard you have set up, help us, Father, to be honest with ourselves where we fail to live up to that standard. Help us to make the loving sacrifices and the desire to be faithfully committed to each other in our marriages so as to serve you and help us not to be drawn away by the world which chases after so many foolish things. Help us to remain true to your standard and your good gifts that we might reflect your glory in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.